about what I'm talking about today. And as we can see up there, God says, I am love. God spoke to me in a dream, and this was the, the, the five o'clock <laughs> in the morning. Emma has just uh, flown off to Australia. I think I can get back to sleep, and he's saying, no, I want you to, um, to press into me. I was watching somebody on television, and they were talking about self-discipline and, uh, and, and self-control. And I reflected on this word, and I went to sleep, and God gave me this dream. He, says, he said to me, do you know what, Simon, Christians know about me, but I want them to know the very person of Jesus Christ. And my word is the source to living out his very nature. And this led to the, uh, the scripture which, which comes up in Galatians 5, 13, 26. It's like, God, what is, what is it? What is the, the very nature of you? What is your nature? Reveal that to me. And he led me to Galatians 5. He says, what is, and, and, and he, he showed so clearly to me the fruits of the Spirit. He said, you know, people pray. People pray and ask for these gifts individually in their lives. They ask um, if, if they can have a little bit more of this or a little bit more of this. And especially when, you know, we, we can think of times when we've had personal warrant of fitnesses of our own life. We take a, we take a check. How's my, how's my love levels at the moment? How's my joy level? Oh, I'm not too good on the patience. So, you know, actually, God, give me more patience. Give me more patience, especially with this person. Or give me more patience, particularly in this situation, Lord. And God is saying, you know, instead of coming to me and, and, and looking for, for top-ups, he's saying my very nature, the very person of who I am, encompasses all of these things. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, forbearance or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. All of these things are who I am. All of these things. So when they pray, what they really need is not more of love or more of joy or just a little bit extra peace. They need more of me. More of me. More of who I am. So we're going to be taking a little look over a period of time, at these things that God says, I am. First up is love. And I want to do a, a bit of a nine-part series on this, so um, keep uh, coming back for more if you want to. Let's play the clip, and uh, we'll get started. Whenever I get gloomy with the state of the world, I think about the arrivals gate at Heathrow Airport. General opinion is starting to make out that we live in a world of hatred and greed. But I don't see that. Seems to me that love is everywhere. Often it's not particularly dignified or newsworthy, but it's always there. Fathers and sons, mothers and daughters, husbands and wives, boyfriends, girlfriends, old friends. When the planes hit the Twin Towers, as far as I know, none of the phone calls from the people on board were messages of hate or revenge. They were all messages of love. If you look for it, I've got a sneaky feeling you'll find that love actually is all around. Thank you, Mr. Hugh Grant. I love, just wanted to pick out a few bits, just even from that. You know, I, I, 
that sits very, very dear to my heart because I find that being so far away from my own family in the UK, but when I have that chance to uh, get to Heathrow Airport and all my family are waiting at the other end and just the, the joy, the complete um, relief and delight to physically be able to, to touch, to, um, to wrap your arms around your loved ones. And this is a few things which were said there. Often it's not particularly dignified or newsworthy, but it's always there. If you look for it, I've got a sneaky feeling you'll find that love actually is all around. And what stands out for me is if you look for it, if you look for it, if you're hungry for it, if you desire it with every ounce in your body, you will find it. You know, it says, it says in, 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 Matthew, in, the, in the Gospel of Matthew, ask and you shall find. Seek and you so ask and you shall, excuse me, seek, seek and receive. Seek and you will find, knock and the door will be open unto you. And it's that, that very seeking that God is wanting. God is not interested in our increased understanding of concepts if there's no relationship increasing with it. When God gives us revelation, He's inviting us to a new place of experience. And that's knowing Him. Ephesians 3, verse uh, 17 to 19, it says, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. This verse states that, you know, we can, we can know by experience, not by knowledge, not by filling our heads with, with knowledge, but by actual experience. When I think about what love is, love is an expression, not an idea. I don't just conjure up a, a love thought and pass that on to Emma telepathically. Are you getting that? Did you get that? No. We don't do that. I express my love to her by spending time with her. I express my love to her uh, by giving her words of affirmation through, through physical touch, serving her, gifts of appreciation. And God's love is that times 50 trillion. And even that is not even close to the measure of the love of God that he has for each and every one of us. It's just scratching the surface. It surpasses knowledge, or more specifically, our comprehension. And yet the creator of the universe wants to load you up with his love so that we can be filled to a measure of some of the fullness. No, hold on. Was that a tenth of his fullness? No. All the fullness of God. All of his fullness He's not looking to, to give us a, a tiny measure. He wants to display it all for you. He wants to give all of himself towards you. And so I want to take a look at three, three distinct points tonight, which talk about the love that God has for us. First point for you tonight is God's love is one of desire and partnership. 
Bill Johnson, he writes in uh, one of his latest books, Hosting the Presence, the heart of God is for partnership with his created likeness. He's the ultimate king who loves to empower. His heart from day one was to have a people who lived like him, loved like him, created and ruled like him. From day one, God's desire has been to be with his creation as the invited landlord to look over their increased capacity to rule, making this world like his. Making his world like his. That's why we have this, you know, we have the scripture, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Heaven's love through you and me invading this earth. Invading it so that it just completely over, you know, overcomes a lost and dying world. That they would know that we were sent by God, the creator of the universe. God wants to partner with us. He loves to empower you. He loves to speak life over you. That intimacy of living like him, loving like him, created to rule with him. Praise God. What an opportunity. John 13, 34 to 35 says, A new command I give to you. Love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Everyone will know. Everybody will know. Now, but I started asking God a question around that scripture. I said, what does loving one another look like, God? You know, we can so easily put our own take on it. We can put our own, um, our own look particularly based on the way in which we've received love in the past. And that can sometimes very much taint the way in which we're called to love people inside and outside of the body. I've been a Christian for 17 years now, and I can't believe that it's taken me this long to actually ask a question like this. But then last night at 2.30 in the morning, he wakes me up and gives me a page and a half download of the very thing that encapsulates the way in which he wants us to love. He says to me, Simon, have you ever wondered why Jesus, Jesus' sacrifice is known as the ultimate sacrifice? Why is it called that? Then he took me through the, the customs of the Old Testament and, and what sacrifice looked like. A particular sacrifice was um, was was uh, bearing or laying down um, commonplace where where sorry um, where the sacrifice was commonplace as a means for the cleansing of sins. The best uh, or the first of the flock uh, brought to the slaughter so that man could once again be clean. He said to me, "When my son comes on the scene, I'm there. I grow him." I develop him under my protection, under the guidance of me. Because the enemy knows and understands the power that my son Jesus will bring in being able to fill the very thing that he came to do. We look at that and we see in Luke 4, 18 to 20, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. 
He has sent me to pray, proclaim freedom to the, uh, for the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, this is good news for us. This is incredible news for us, but this is terrible news for Satan. This is not something that he's wanting to see. This is not something that he's wanting to come to fruition. And so he uses the confusion and the bitterness of the Pharisees, as well as others, in an attempt to kill Jesus. But God says, none of this, none of this is my will. None of this is what I want. And we see Jesus on a number of occasions either retreating away or bringing truth into the environment where people can no longer instantly choose to kill him right there and then. But then there comes a time when Jesus in close relationship with his father and his father saying, my son, now is the time. Now is the time. And Jesus in his human state is not in his glorified state at this position. He's a man. He's a man. And he speaks out, okay, God, okay, daddy, God, now is the time to glorify you. Now is the time to show ultimate love. I choose to lay down my life, still as a man, but in intimacy with you. I choose death so that you can show them the love that you have for each and every one of them through my sacrifice. This is summed up in five small words. Not my will, but yours. That's, that's the incredible love that God just showed me through the sacrifice of His Son, Jesus Christ. That His divine timing, His divine nature to put Jesus in that exact spot, in that exact time. You know, people could have come and they could have assass you know, assassinated. But the power of what God had to present came through the power of his crucifixion and his resurrection. That's such good news for us. And when I think of the song, um, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross, you know, it has such poignant words to me. Love so amazing. Love so divine. Demands my soul, my life, my all. Love so divine is, is, sums it up. It's about right. God's timing was all over the manner in which his son would sacrifice his life. It enables Jesus to come as the spotless lamb out of complete free will, his own choice and his desire to bring us into freedom all for the sake of love. That is incredibly good news. Incredible freedom that he would place himself in that situation. And that is the, the love, the desire, the intimacy that he, des he, he wants to have with us, that partnership. He went all the way to the cross that he present himself to us. And then God gave me this question. When was the last time that we, as his people, said those words to Father God? When was the last time that you said, to Daddy God, okay, now, right this minute, where I am at work, right this minute, where I am 
at university, right this minute, where I am, God, with my family, is the time to glorify you. Right now is the time to show ultimate love. I lay down my own agenda in order that you may be glorified. I step into intimacy with you and I choose death to self so that your love can be shown. Your love can be shown to people. I want us to take that and ask that question this week. When was the last time that you took a look and said, not my will, but yours, Father God? Because that will completely transform the way in which we love, completely transform the way in which we come into a, a lost and dying world is that we will put our agenda on the back burner and we'll choose to put his agenda, his love, first and foremost. My second point tonight is God's love is one of discipline. We do people an injustice, I think, if we do not paint the full picture of God's all-encompassing love. If we didn't, it would be like missing out on the, the finer details of, say, Adolf Hitler's character. So, so I was introducing Clay to my friend. Hey, this is, this is my friend Adolf. He likes playing with his children. Um, and on the occasional, a bit of ballet. Oh, yeah, um, I almost forgot. He also hates Jews and was the starting catalyst for Japan being hit by the atomic bomb. Um, it's a huge uh, gap if we didn't paint the full picture of, of who he was. Um, we would not obtain the, the, very, uh, the very thing that he was renowned for. Um, and in the same way, we cannot neglect God's love is a love which holds discipline for us as well. It's important that we recognize the, the, that discipline is, is something that, that grows, that, that molds, that develops us. God's discipline for us is crucial information to the way in which he shows us his love. And others will be robbed of the full truth if we don't communicate this. And I've got some scriptures up there, and I'll uh, quickly just go through Hebrews 12, 6. Because the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Proverbs three twelve takes it just like a slight difference. Because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. You know, I, I wouldn't be the same person that I am today um, if it wasn't for... Um, the fantastic love that my parents showed towards me. But that love also came with being disciplined at times in which um, I was naughty or I was uh, misbehaving. And uh, my mum was, um, was the disciplinary in the, in the household. She was the, the one who um, uh, we, we most uh, respected when it came, to, uh, when it came to, to a time of being disciplined. And I remember this one distinct time when my brother and I had stayed out far later than what we uh, were supposed to. And uh, my brother, being the older brother, he got the, he, he got the brunt of it. Um, but that didn't stop me from receiving uh, the same amount of discipline. And as, as children of God, we, we, we can sometimes be in the same place of going, well, why me? 
Why me? Why, why, do, I, why do I deserve that? Why do I deserve the punishment? It was his fault. You know, he, he was the one who led me astray. But where would we be if we didn't receive discipline that we would learn, that we would grow from, that we would walk in new life, we would walk in, walk in new truth for what God is wanting to try and present to us? And that's just the power of his love for us, his design and his desire to show us love through that realm. Psalm 119.75 says, I know, Lord, and this is David speaking, I know, Lord, that your laws are righteous and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. David recognizes here that God's disciplined love is out of faithfulness towards him in wanting the very best for him as a person. In the same way, a parent will not let their child go undisciplined for doing naughty things because they want them to grow. They want them to come into to fullness. They want them to come into uh, a better understanding of why what they did was wrong and taking them into the newness of what is to be presented. Revelation 3.19, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. I rebuke and I discipline. You know, that's something which I'm so grateful that God has, has done in my life. It's not something which He's led me to a place of, of fearing, um, fearing Him with a, an ungodly fear, but it's placed me in right standing with Him. There's so many times where in this um, wonderful plumb line that God has for us that I've taken steps left and right outside of that plumb line. And if it wasn't for his, his love, for his disciplining love to bring me back in alignment, my, my, my whole life could have gone down a completely different way, could have gone down a completely different route. But God's love is, is there to draw us, is there to draw us back in. God's love is there to, to usher us back into his presence, that we would come back into that alignment. That is his love. Our third point tonight is God's love is one of compassion. And I want to use the example of uh, Ruth and her relationship with Naomi. Naomi, um, in, a, in the prelude to this scripture, uh, this, this specific bit of scripture, Naomi has, has lost her husband. Her husband has, has died. And Ruth and her sister-in-law have also lost their husbands. And uh, Naomi is recognizing that uh, a famine has, has now passed in, uh, in the land of Israel and now thinks it's the right time to, to head home. And on the journey home, she, um, she urges the girls to return to their homeland of Moab. But Ruth has other plans. And uh, we pick it up in verse 16. It says, but Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn my back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. It's amazing that we as God's people 
have this incredible mantle upon us to bring forth the compassion of the God in which we love and which we serve. And I love the picture that is portrayed here of Ruth's compassion and love and, and, and just willingness to serve Naomi, no matter what is, uh, is, is to come. She's taking that, that choice. She's taking that step to say, wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Uh, what makes a person do that? What makes a person walk so, so closely, so intimately, so with, with a passion and desire to, to follow through? And she had a revelation. She had a revelation of what Naomi and, and her, her, her children and her husband had showed of her, of the love of God. And that was the thing, the very thing that convicted her to walk closely with her, to walk in with intimacy with her and say, do you know what? I don't want to leave your side. I don't want to leave your side because of the, the, the love that you have shown me through this person, which is God. And I want to follow. I want to have that same compassion. And it's interesting because, you know, Naomi is not the easiest of mother-in-laws. If you read on just a little bit later, um, she comes back to her people and Naomi, um, uh, pe- the people uh, are going, oh, is that Naomi? Is that Na- Naomi? Has she returned? And Naomi says, don't call me by that name. Don't call me by, the, by that name. My name shall from now on be called Mara. And, and Mara is, uh, an- is another term for bitter. And you think about it, who wants to be hanging around with a bitter mother-in-law? <laughs> Who wants to be hanging around with someone who's, who's, who's constantly speaking out the negativity, speaking out um, downcast? And this would not have been an easy feat for Ruth, but she had something inside of her, something inside of her that meant that she wanted to persist. She swore that by being love, by being compassion in that environment, she could she could bring something to that very tribe. She could bring something to those people that would bring a new revelation of the love of God. And we see that she was richly rewarded for her compassion and her desire to walk closely with Naomi. And that comes with her meeting uh, Boaz just that little bit later. But I wonder if you've asked yourself, would you go through, would you do the very thing that Ruth did? If you saw that there was somebody who was bitter, who was negative, who was, who was downcast all the time, would you take that choice to walk closely with them, to be someone to, to walk underneath, to be their foundation, to lift them up, to speak life where there was death, to speak peace where there was fear, to speak joy maybe where there was depression? I just think Ruth's example is perfect for us in our time. Whether it's people who are here in the body of Christ or those people that you come into contact with in the workplace or friends or family, we all know people. And yet sometimes we're so fearful or we're, we're so, if I'm being honest, judgmental of people in those situations that we walk away. 
But I thank you for the example, Lord, of Ruth, that I can make that decision to say, do you know what, whatever you're going through, I'm going to walk with you and I'm going to go through that with you. Where you choose to stay, I'll stay with you, but I want to lead you into new truth. I want to lead you into the truth that God has over your life. The, the dependency for him will be greater upon the dependency of the crotch which you're currently holding on to. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. I will show you a God that is a God of love, a God of compassion, a God that delights in you. What a challenge. Our next little thing which I thought we'd just show, which is part of uh, God's compassion. And God showed me some some just some beautiful truths which come come out of this scripture, Luke ten twenty five to thirty seven, the parable of the good Samaritan. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. He says, "Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law?" He replied, "This is Jesus. How do you read it? How do you define it? What do you see in the word that defines?" What do you must do to inherit eternal life? The expert in the law come, came back and said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. This is the teacher. This is the expert in the law. So he asked Jesus, and Jesus who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? A highlighted justify himself. Because you can just, you can almost hear what the expert in the law is going. Oh, okay. So love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and love your neighbor. Fantastic. Oh, but God, who, who, who is my neighbor? How little can I get away with? How little can I get away with that I may inherit eternal life? And this is the way in which Jesus responds by giving him the, the story, the parable of the Good Samaritan. And we all know about how he presents the, the priest and then the Levite and then comes to the Samaritan. And the Samaritan is the, most leak, uh, the least likely of, of people to, to affiliate with this, uh, with this expert in the law in regards to relationship, in regards to closeness. And he uses that example. In picking up in verse 36, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Again, just that re-emphasis that we can't get away with just a bare minimum in regards to our love. A love is to be extravagant, as extravagant as God's love is for each of us. Extravagant can't be selective to those people who we think are cool or those people that we think are, are easy to get on with. It's to be extravagant to, to those people that, that maybe we just rub us up the wrong way or people that we struggle to, to, to get along with in life group because they just talk too much. <laughs> or maybe there's people at work that we just 
are so about themselves or just love talking about how much they got drunk and, and fell into bed with this amazing woman. Or maybe that person who is constantly telling you how much better their football team is compared to yours. We're to love people with an extravagant love that goes beyond that. It's all right, mate. We all know who's the better team. <laughs> what is it that God is convicting us of right now? How big, how wide, how vast is the love of God? And how big and how vast and how wide is the love of God to be in our lives, to be shown to a lost and dying world, to people who are close to us, but to people who are not close to God. I'm so taken by his, his example there. And in 1 John 4, 19 to 21, it says, We love because he first loved. He first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. Wow. Wow. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. You know, we're coming back to that picture of God desiring to partner with us. He's desiring to, to partner with us. In all of this compassion, in, in all of this delight and love for people, it's not reliant on whether, you know, you have compassion as an individual, but whether you will be filled with his manifest presence and allow God to be the compassionate love that he desires to show. He desires to work through us. He desires to use us as a tool that we would be working not from our own love, our own love can be fickle. Our own love can be temperamental. Our own love can be half-hearted, if we're completely honest sometimes. But God is saying through a level of intimacy and allowing Him to, to show the truth of His love, will open each of our eyes to a new level of engagement that we've never experienced before. This last scripture, and maybe I'll just welcome the, the music team back up. Deuteronomy 6, 4-9. There's like the groundwork in which uh, Israel heard the command, uh, the commandment. And uh, from, starting from verse 4, it says, Hear, O Israel, hear me, listen to this. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strengths. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. You know, just reiterating, you know, we can't comprehend the love that the Father has for us up here. But he wants to communicate to us heart to heart, spirit to spirit, the fullness of his character, the fullness of his love for each of us. It's to be set upon our heart. Impress this. Impress this upon your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. 
Now the Jews took this. They took this to heart. I had something which was called a tefillin, which was little black boxes, which uh, sometimes there's pictures of, which they put on their forehead and which they put on their arm. Black boxes which held the truths, which held the, the commandments of God. In this very same thing, we need to do this. We need to embed the very love that God has for us. Embed it into our daily walk. Build it into our daily walk. But you know what? We're not going to capture this. We're not going to capture the love of God unless we engage intimately with our Father God. Unless we engage intimately with Him and have Him reveal the truths about Himself to us. That requires us to step in. That requires us to to step out of our comfort zones. To be the person like Ruth that will love the better person. To be the Samaritan that will walk in closely will nurse the wounds, will go the extra mile in showing love to those people that we think are difficult. And tonight, I just felt God so clearly say to us that maybe there's people here who, who don't know what the love of God is. They haven't experienced the love of God. And this is where tonight's going to get fun. People, tonight you're going to hear from God. Maybe for the first time. And maybe you've never experienced this love. And this is possibly because of a blockage. Maybe because of a past relationship which has given you a, a, squiffy, um, a squiffy view of the Father's heart for you. But tonight, that's going to be gone. We're going to cast it out. It's going to be out. And in place of that, we'll have forgiveness in our hearts. We'll renounce the lie. And then we're going to get God to reveal the truth that's going to replace that lie. And so I wonder if you just stand with me. I wonder if you just stand with me now. If you never experienced love of God, or you've had that wrong mindset or that wrong opinion of what God's love is, that's because of a, of a relationship. I just want you to close your eyes. Everybody around this room, just close your eyes. And maybe you've got that person in your mind. And we're just going to forgive that person right now. We're going to forgive them for their wrong depiction of love. We forgive them. We lay them before your feet. Father God, we lay them before your feet. We give them to you, Lord. And we say, have your way, Lord God. We say, have your way. Father God, we want to know what the truth is. We want to know what your real love is for us. Lord, you are a compassionate God. You're You're a God that desires partnership with us. Lord, you're a God who loves to to love us, Lord, with a a love of discipline, Lord. But it's healthy. It's in right standing. And you're compassionate. And so if that's to you tonight, Lord, if that's to you tonight, I just want you to just to lift your hands before God. Just open your hands before Him. And right now, we're going to renounce the lie. 
We're going to renounce the lie that you've been holding on to so that you may come into the fullness, the complete fullness, all of God's goodness. And so maybe tonight we can all just repeat, repeat this prayer. And I'm truly believing that God is going to speak to you as we renounce the lie and as he presents the truth. Here we go. So Father God, I renounce the lie that you are not a loving Father, that you personally do not desire intimacy with me, that you are not enough when I am in need of love, when I am in need of discipline, when I am in need of compassion. Father God, I renounce the lie that I have no value, that you will not protect me, that you will not provide for me, or that you do not give me identity as your child. Father God, what is the truth that you want to replace in that lie? And right now, God is going to be downloading, He's going to be placing pictures. He's going to be placing words in you right now. And what I want to do with the mic is I want to come around. As soon as he gives you a picture, as soon as he gives you that truth, I want you just just two one one word, two words, whatever it is, just for you to proclaim it over this house. Proclaim it over yourself. Because it's the truth that God sets in your heart now and for eternity of the love that he has for you. Father God, what is the truth? When you start to get that truth, just raise your hand for me. I'm going to come over. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. What's the truth? Praise God. Thank you, Lord, that you will not give us anything that we cannot handle. You will not let us walk into something that we cannot handle. Your love casts out all fear, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. What else? What is truth? What else is truth? Thank you, Lord. Five years ago, the Lord said, I have given you a lot. And today, I think he's putting on my heart nothing but the best. Awesome. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that you give us your best, Lord. Thank you that we were born, Lord, to receive your best. Thank you that we are your gift, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. What else is truth? Thank you, Lord. What else is truth? Pictures. Anything. Thank you, Lord. I have given you a spirit of power. Oh, thank you, Jesus. I have given you a spirit of power. Not one of timidity. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that your love gives me power, Lord. Hallelujah. What else? More power, more truth. Thank you, Lord. I've got a picture of a 21st key. The tradition used to be that when you turned 21, your parents gave you a key to the house. And it's just that as his sons, every single one of us has been given a key to his kingdom and a key to his resources. And every time we step out, prompted by his spirit, we have his resources and his authority behind us. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Yes, Lord, more truth. More truth. 
You are faithful, God. You are faithful. You delight in your, your children, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Just a couple more. I just want us to celebrate. I just want us to celebrate His love. Who else? Who else has truth here tonight? Thank you. Lord, yes. I got a picture of myself when I was a little kid, and God said, I saw you when you were a little kid, and I knew you were going to be mine. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that we can come to you as little children, Lord. Thank you, you desire that, Lord. Yes, Lord. No, one more. One more. I know there's more. I know there's more truth. What else? Awesome. Oh, here we go. Complete acceptance by God. Complete acceptance. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Is there anyone else? Sorry, I thought I saw another hand. They're flowing now. Excellent. Your healer, and I won't let you down. Thank you, Jesus. 